1: It's Mentally Yours, from Ellen and Yvette, I focus on your mental health you surely won't regret. It's Mentally, 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 yours. mentally Yours, Mentally Yours, Mentally Yours. Hi
0: everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and today I'm chatting to Dr. Emma Hepburn. She's a clinical psychologist, author and the creator of The Psychology Mum, an Instagram account on which she shares mental health cartoons. We're going to be chatting about New Year's resolutions and how to have a mentally healthier 2021. So we're chatting a bit about sort of Christmas but also sort of New Year's. How do you feel about New Year's first of all? What are your thoughts on it?
2: Uh, I mean I think New Year can be a time to kind of reset but I think quite often at New Year, we stop and we set wishes for the rest of the year, which we term as resolutions, but actually they're just wishes because we set these kind of grand ideas of what we're going to do with kind of very little idea about how we're going to do it. So in that case, what we name as resolutions really just become wishes and ultimately wishes often don't happen. And we set ourselves up for probably some point in January looking back I think you know I've not achieved those those resolutions or those wishes so I have I have mixed feelings I enjoy it personally but I have been prone to setting resolutions for years which were very grand which I've never met.
0: Yeah I'm glad you sort of jumped on that sort of initially the the, the resolutions thing so I was gonna wanted to talk about that a bit because do you think they can ever be helpful is is there a way do you think people can sort of work towards them realistically because I really relate to what you said about them being Sort of yeah. rather than necessarily helpful.
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think I think obviously you know we're constantly learning, constantly changing, and change is possible. But I think it's doing it in a realistic way because if we set ourselves unrealistic expectations, and we don't manage those. It makes us feel bad. We feel like we failed. And I think one of the things we often do is we set what's almost a negative goal. So I don't want to eat chocolate, for example. That's before it starts, makes you feel quite bad. Whereas if you said something positive or kind of an aim that you want to work towards instead of away from, so I want to eat a piece of fruit every day or two pieces of fruit every day, that immediately makes you feel better because you're working towards something rather than moving away from something you think you shouldn't be doing. So I think that would be my first thing is make sure it's something you want to move towards rather than move away from. And then I think the second thing would be to make sure you're not making it hugely unrealistic because life is complex, life is busy and setting something that is hugely complex and is almost impossible to do. So, for example, if I said, I want to eat healthily, it's very vague. It's very unrealistic because we can never eat healthy all the time. So making it very, very specific and starting as small as possible. So, for example, I want to eat one piece of fruit when I have my morning coffee. That's small, very specific, very measurable. It comes into those kind of terms of smart goals that we talk about. It's a positive thing to work towards. It's also manageable because I, you know, I'm saying when I'm going to do and exactly what I'm going to do.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. What would your thoughts be on something like um, giving up smoking or giving up alcohol? Because that seemed like a kind of Obviously, that would be a positive thing for your health, but that's like, a, I guess, a negative thing that you are you feel like you're being sort of maybe deprived of something mm-hmm. that you're used to. How would you turn that around, do you think?
2: I mean, I think you can say, I want to have so many alcohol-free days and that turns into something you want to work towards. Uh, some people might want to quit totally and that's, that's absolutely okay and that can be done. If you can start with kind of reducing it, if it's not problematic, that's a better way to start it. And I think as well, you're tapping to something which is kind of twofold, really, because although it might have a negative impact, it can also be something incredibly pleasurable as well. So I think you need to hold on to your why of of why you're doing it. Don't you, what is the reason you're doing it? And when you feel the impulse to do it, we know that short term reward of maybe the, you know feeling good when you have that first drink of alcohol or a couple of glasses of alcohol or wine um, or smoking a cigarette that's going to pull you in that short-term reward so when you feel the urge to do it remembering your kind of longer-term why what is it you're hoping to achieve by by not having it and doing something else instead at that point so holding on to your why at all points can be really really helpful in kind of moving away that kind of short-term pool of the reward for that longer-term reward and bearing that longer-term reward in mind Mm.
0: and also does it help to I guess try and sort of replace some of those
2: habits like you say with with other nice habits so um... absolutely yes so rather than just having a blank period you need you do need to replace that behavior it's a behavior that served a purpose so perhaps you know you sat down for your nightly glass of wine you relaxed you felt quite good it made you know it made you feel good that's why you were doing it so rather than just moving away from it having a blank space that blank space needs to be filled so thinking what will i do to replace that behavior at that time with something that also makes me feel good and it's really important that when we're building new habits or new behaviors they make you feel good because then you're more likely to do it so so instead of that glass of wine could you have something else you enjoy eating or drinking or could you actually just go and do something that you like doing at that point that's maybe not associated it with wine? Because what we know is the cue really triggers the habit as well. So try to make that behaviour something that you don't associate with wine. There's a really, really nice study I've just written about actually for a lecture where they gave people popcorn and people who are habitual popcorn eaters. And they compared it to people who weren't habitual popcorn eaters and they made them watch a film and they gave them either stale or fresh popcorn. And the habitual eaters, when they were watching the film, ate the same of the popcorn, regardless of whether it was stale or not stale, when they are watching the film. However, if you took them out of that context, because the film's associated with eating popcorn, and you made them do something totally different, for example, even listen to music, they didn't eat so much of the stale popcorn because they noticed it, so the habit just kept going, because they are in the context where the habit kept going. So the behaviour you replace it with should probably be something that you don't associate with, for example, wine or smoking. So not sitting and watching Netflix, that's usually when you drink wine, doing something different because the cue triggers the habit, if that makes sense. Yeah. The
0: brain's fascinating, isn't it?
2: It's really Oh, yes, interesting. absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to sort of hear about sort of these things. So I guess maybe it would be useful to, for people to just start off by writing a list of things that I've found this personally. This is why I'm suggesting it, I guess of things that I know kind of make me happy or that I enjoy so that maybe mm-hmm. people can schedule that into their days rather than this habit that they're maybe trying to move away from. Um,
2: Absolutely, and, and preferably things which you don't associate with a habit at that point because you're more likely to continue that habit if you're doing it or if you continue with the kind of context of that habit, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's me, really made me think about like the – because I've been in a habit of sort of watching Christmas films of an evening. And, yeah, because I am a popcorn eater. It's interesting you said about that study because it, it uh-huh. I'm always sort of thinking, well, I've got some popcorn in the cupboard. I could – and, yeah, I'm pretty sure I would just eat the, the stale stuff like in the study. It's really interesting. <laughs> Um, do, are you planning to make any New year's resolutions yourself um, next year?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Well, I have just um, started a um, column in The Telegraph and I just submitted my one for a new year, and I mm. realized when I submitted it that I've pretty much written my aims for new year in a very public domain in this article and drawn them into the drawing. So uh, it was quite small things really. Um, one of the things I did last year not in 2020 and 2019 was I I wanted to do something positive for the environment so I thought what's a very small change I can make I decided I would never get a coffee because I'm a regular coffee drinker I would never get a coffee from a shop unless I had a reusable cup in me and I managed to stick to it for the whole of 2019 because it's a very small thing and of course 2020 came and you couldn't use reusable cups so it totally blew out the water and unfortunately my drive for coffee at work. overtook my urge to not use uh, reusable cups. So I'm going to go back to that this year because obviously coffee shops are starting to do that again. They're starting to enable you to use reusable cups. So there's just small things like that. I'm trying to keep it really small and I'm trying to build it around what's important to me. So that's obviously the environment that's my value, kind of looking after the environment. And that's a small thing I can do and quite tangible and quite practical. So I know Mm. when to do it. And... And I guess other things I'm building around my values are, are family time. So in the evening, it's very easy just to slip into watching TV and sit with the kids in front of the TV. So I want to just build in little kind of practical things around about my family and spending family time together. So, for example, building in a board game night once a month and also... Um, the other thing I'm trying to recall what it was now Um, oh yeah so after school rather than just sitting in front of the tv actually having a maybe nice time together making them a little drink and a snack and sitting down together and just having a little chat about their day they probably won't want to chat about it because that's what they they do but just nonetheless having a little bit of nice time together
0: Hmm. I really love that those goals are you know quite small but specific um, mm-hmm. And they sort of feel like they're manageable because I think there's, there can be a thing around New, new Year's usually where people go for these really sort of huge aims and also sometimes quite vague. Um, Absolutely. So I think, yeah, narrowing it down, like you say, from from a goal, whether it is sort of to be a bit healthier rather than sort of say, oh, I'm going to get to a, such and such size and I'm, well, I'm going to, I don't know, achieve this huge thing, just pick something very small like the fruit thing you mentioned earlier or maybe just having well I hate to mention walks at the moment because I think that's all we're doing at the moment isn't it having it yes. but um doing some sort of extra bit of exercise or um whatever it might be but that's I really think specific. importantly
2: something that makes sorry sorry I interrupted you there and uh, you yeah, absolutely specific and also something that makes you feel good because too often we kind of start with things that make us feel bad and the thing that is with things that make you feel bad you're less likely to want to do them they're less likely to be motivated to do them and so all the things I've I've said I want to do are things that actually make me feel really really good and that is a hugely motivating thing uh, we should actually be choosing rather than things that make us feel bad the things that make us feel really good to build into our lives
0: oh I love the sound of that it's nice to get sort of guests like you on because I'm just making loads of notes about yeah how can I improve my life basically (laughs) um yeah like for me it would be something like sort of doing dancing just because I really enjoy doing that because I guess yeah with the with the health thing there's sort of part of my mind sort of going oh we should join a gym you should join a gym you should do all these you know really difficult classes but actually the thing that I enjoy is dancing so that's probably a better thing to sort of Think about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really nice. Because your your value there is health. And then your your what you immediately said is I should be doing this. And we get caught up in these shoulds and what the society tells us we should be doing. But it was really nice to hear you say, Actually, I really enjoy dancing and that fits with my values. And think about how you could build that gradually into your day. Because we know if you're successful with your habits, if you start off managing them so for example I mean let's let's think of something really silly for your habits so um, so when you switch the kettle on can you put a tune on and dance to it or a a YouTube video on and dance to while the kettle's boiling for example it's really small it's got a trigger which is switching the kettle on and then you can dance around the kitchen now if you do that you might be motivated then to maybe follow a YouTube video for half an hour it doesn't matter if you don't because your aim was just to do it for those two minutes that the kettle boiled but we know if you are successful and it makes you feel good you're more likely to build at it. So it's it starting as small as possible so you can build it gradually in a positive way into your life. I love and it obviously so that's much. quite a silly example, but no, you know,
0: hey. No, absolutely love it. I can definitely see me doing that. To be honest, I, one of the few sort of pluses of, you know, the lockdowns and this really difficult year is I've just realised that I can quite freely dance around my house like something out of a rom-com and there's nobody to see me or stop me. So, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's <laughs> quite good. Um. So we know you've written um, a brilliant book, which is out already. Um, Just remind me of the name of it, please.
2: So it's a toolkit for modern life, 53 ways to look after your mind.
0: Thank you so much. And there's loads of tips in there, basically, for people um, wanting to, as you said, look after their minds. How can people sort of, if if people are going into 2021, um, focusing on their mental health, thinking about bringing in some healthy habits, um, just generally, do you have any tips for that or any exercises that you're happy to share with us,
2: please? Sure, so I think one of the key things and it also ties into resolutions and goals is being compassionate to yourself, and compassion is really about we're stepping back and and being kind to yourself but also recognising that how you feel is kind of because you're human. It's not because you're unusual or different. So seeing that kind of, Kirsten Neff, who writes about compassion, calls it common humanity. And once we start to recognise our common humanity, it it kind of makes us feel validated and normalises how we're feeling. So I'd say by building compassion to your life first of all it's spotting when you're not compassionate to yourself which is so intrinsic to often to our self-talk we all do it we do something and we criticize ourselves for doing it we almost can't help it because when we feel negative emotions the talk comes or the negative kind of critical talk comes along with that or we might feel embarrassed when we're out and we start kind of berating ourselves so it's spotting when it does happen and starting to recognize that I'm sorry, another way we do it is also we beat ourselves up for how we feel. So we might feel bad or feel difficult emotions and we start criticising ourselves for it. And that's really, really common. I hear that all the time. And it's stepping back and, and kind of noticing you're doing it because as soon as you become aware of it, it kind of takes the power away a little bit. When it goes on without you noticing it, it kind of get carries away. But as soon as you notice it and step back and become aware of it, you can do something about it. And you start to recognise how you're speaking to yourself and kind of distance yourself from that a bit and recognise it as a thought rather than a kind of factual, um, dim, a f- a factual pronouncement of exactly what's happening. It's just a perception. Mm. And once you see what you're saying, recognising that maybe you criticise yourself, you can start to think, well, actually, there's nothing wrong with feeling this way. It's absolutely how the brain works. It's a common human way to feel. It's how brains respond in these situations so then you're taken away from being about you personally and something wrong about you to actually being something about how human minds work and how human brains work and that feels a lot less personal and it externalizes it from you as a person Another really nice way to externalise, and in fact, the way I find most people engage best with this technique is a really, really simple technique. You've probably seen it all over social media because people really, really engage with it. It's just trying to step outside that situation and thinking, how would I view this if it was somebody else? What would I be saying to somebody else? Um, What would I say to a friend? Because that's really utilising the fact that we can see things much more objectively from an outsider's perspective. We don't have the same intrinsic emotions that we feel when we experience them ourselves. And then by stepping back, we can kind of think about it how somebody else would be thinking about it. It starts to separate you from those immediate critical thoughts that immediately affect you and start to build that compassionate voice and and treating yourself kindly. Mm. The thing I'd say about this, it sounds so easy. It sounds so simple and it's splashed about social media saying, Oh, just talk to yourself the way you speak to a friend. That's great and it is a lovely technique, but it is not simple because you are trying to change a often automatic and immediate way that we talk to ourselves and often it happens before we've even noticed it. So we go down that pattern, even noticing it can be difficult sometimes and then when you're trying to build that compassionate voice, it can seem a little bit unnatural. It can seem a bit cringy. For a Scottish person, some of these techniques feel quite cringy, but they do really work. And it's, but that, again, is learning something new. Whenever you're learning something new, you're creating new neural pathways in your brain. And that takes time and it's not automatic. It's more effortful. So we're likely to slip back into the kind of critical thoughts if that's an automatic habit. So you have to put in quite a lot of conscious effort at the start to really kind of build that up. So it's not an easy thing, even though it sounds really simple, it actually requires effort to do it. But it's really motivating to know it it really is worth the effort to continue doing it because it has such a beneficial impact on your body and brain. In fact, there's loads of research to show if we are compassionate to ourselves, it improves our well-being, it reduces our stress, it reduces the physiological stress mechanisms in our body. If we go through a, a difficult traumatic situation, people who are compassionate to themselves actually experience less physiological stress. So it's worth that conscious effort to kind of develop that so that's my first one would be compassion
0: yeah definitely it's amazing isn't it how we can beat ourselves up and as you say like especially if you've been in the habit of doing it for sort of many years it does take a while to sort of change that what are the sort of how do you sort of do it practically because I mean this is actually something I've been trying to work on for several years now one year my Uh resolution was in fact to be kinder to myself after reading the kindness method and it really surprised me just how horrible I was to myself because like you say you start noticing the thoughts that kind of come up so for example I might if I made a mistake or you know quite a tiny mistake in any area of life whether it's sort of work or friendships or anything I'd be really mean to myself and then you sort of once you start to hear that you do kind of think oh I can be a real bitch sometimes (laughs) it's quite surprising um but what are your thoughts on so if you do like spot yourself Because that's the first thing, I suppose, isn't it? Spotting yourself, saying these mean things to yourself.
2: What do you actually
0: do at that point? What's your advice for that?
2: Well, I think the first thing not to do, which is what we often start doing is why am I being so, is beating herself up for beating herself up in a way? Mm. It's like, oh, I can't believe I'm saying that to myself and almost being critical about inner critic. But actually recognizing that's a, that's a way that develops. in a almost tr- your brain trying to help you. So first of all, don't beat yourself up for what you're noticing yourself saying to yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's quite a common way for people to, to think and it's, it's the kind of negative bias that exists in our brain almost promotes that. So that's the first thing. Don't shame yourself for what you're saying to yourself, which we quite often do. And then it's just really practical thinking, Okay, what am I saying now? And I actually quite often make credit card sized um, or laminated credit cards almost to give people a kind of uh, a little prompt. And it's quite nice to have a prompt on you because when you're feeling stressed or when you're feeling Maybe you know, shame or feel embarrassed. Your brain doesn't really stop and think; it kind of just goes ahead with its natural habit. So, having some sort of prompt somewhere can really help, kind of initiate the habit or initiate the kind of new way of, of doing something. So, I quite even often give people a credit card prompt. They keep on them in their pocket or in their in their wallet. They take out when they notice it, and it just says, "Okay, stop." It's okay um, to say that. Now, let's think. What am I saying to myself? step back, that's a thought, what would I say to somebody else in this situation? Now, say that to yourself, even if you don't believe it, say it to yourself because you know it's more objectively truthful than what you were saying previously, because that's how you would, you would view it objectively to somebody else. So actually then just saying that to yourself, so stopping thinking, what would I say to somebody else, and saying it to yourself. It seems a little bit natural because you're shifting away from something that's so automatic but again, that requires repetition. It requires a bit of conscious effort and a bit of, um, you know, kind of not believing it first of all to start to develop it and believe it more.
0: Mm. Yeah, that sounds really good and really thanks. For that. That's very practical advice because, like you say, it's it's one thing to sort of hear people saying, "Oh, you know, learn to be your own best friend," but it's it, you do have to really learn. It's a, it's like a you have to practice it, don't you?
2: Oh absolutely, absolutely. And it's not easy, like I say, it sounds really simple, but actually it's it's the noticing it in the first place, it can be difficult. And then when you do notice it, you we're often have that critical voice when we're stressed. And that's quite ironic because then stress makes it more difficult to think like that. So you often do need a prompt and just to kind of almost make yourself do it in the first instance. But then it does become more natural over time. You'll start to find that those thoughts, the kind of the compassionate ones do happen more naturally, but you will slip back in when you're stressed into those old habits. And again, that's another important thing. Sometimes we develop things really well, but things are going really well. And then we find that, oh, we've kind of gone back 10 steps. And we're, that critical voice is happening again. And then we start to beat ourselves up about that. So when we do, but that's an absolute natural thing to happen. When your brain is overloaded or overwhelmed, it'll use the path of least resistance, and that's long-term um, habits that are kind of integrated into your brain. So it will happen. And it's expecting it to happen, and thinking, okay, well, that's happened now. Why is it happening? What is it? In my situation that's ha- that's made this happen. Is there anything I can learn from that? Perhaps there's not. Perhaps it's just noticing it and saying, but that doesn't that doesn't kind of get rid of everything that's happened before and all the kind of good work I've done. It just means my brain slipped back into habit, but you've still got all that good work there that you can build up again. It's not feeling like it's a failure just because you slipped back into that or beating yourself up because you slipped back into it. It's just recognizing that's how our brains work. It's a kind of habitual nature, which we're particularly prone to when our brains are overwhelmed.
0: Do you have any other exercises that might help people um, in terms of um just positivity or kind of reducing stress i know that's maybe a bit specific but i feel like going into a new year after christmas people can be a bit down and people can be worried about money and especially at the moment um people might be struggling in terms of what's going to happen to their jobs do you have any exercises that might be helpful around those things
2: Mm -hmm. I guess there's kind of two things that I I think are very practical sorry I'm going to cough do you mind if I just stop for a minute and cough sorry (laughs) (coughs) sorry excuse me Um, I'll start again Um, so I guess there's two things really Um, it's recognizing the build-up of overwhelm and kind of practically thinking about how you can do that and I think we maybe spoke about this a little bit in in the last podcast but I used the image of a, a, a capacity cup so an actual cup And it's recognising where you are in that cup. The idea is we all have limited emotional capacity. And when that's full, we reach the point of overwhelm. We can actually deal with quite a lot in life, but sometimes that builds up gradually to the point where just our emotional capacity is used up. And that's the point where really there's kind of a bigger risk that we become overwhelmed, that we burn out. So instead of kind of becoming reactive with that, starting to notice proactively where you are thinking about if you imagine a cup and you've got kind of green at the bottom amber in the middle and red at the top and red is your risk of overflowing recognizing where your emotional capacity is and thinking about what's contributing to that what are the stressors in your life and if you're in that red zone really thinking what you can do about those things. Is there anything in your cup you can manage? Is there anything you can problem solve? Is there anything you can talk through? Is there things coming into your cup you can keep out? Is there things you can delay? So managing your capacity proactively that's particularly important when we have big stressors in our life because they can fill the cup straight away so if you're if you can plan for potential stressors great because you can reduce your capacity for when that stressor happens but sometimes we can't life throws things at us unpredictably and it's recognized and that's the point when perhaps we do need to cut back other things or manage any stressors around about it is there anything we can do practically of course it's not always possible because we can't always cut things out of life but The other thing we can do is putting things in place when we're at that point, but also throughout daily life to help manage stress. So practical everyday things, I think looking after your mental health can seem a little bit kind of intangible, a little bit uncertain. But actually managing stress is about engaging your rest and digest system, your parasympathetic nervous system that helps us manage stress. Because when we're stressed, our sympathetic nervous system is is kind of an overdrive and it's continuously going. So when you're at the point of overwhelm, remembering things like taking a walk, which we talked about before, or anything that manages your stress, maintaining your diet, keeping those kind of daily things which reduce your stress, is, almost seems overwhelming, but making a little bit of effort to do them actually reduces your stress and increases your capacity. So that's kind of managing your capacity and kind of managing the stressors when that is happening but also on a daily basis remembering that the things that look after your mental health are not these really complex things they are of course important to you know, looking at things when things go difficult and, and putting in place individual kind of targeted um, interventions towards mental health but on a daily basis it's about doing things which manage your stress engage your rest and digest system your parasympathetic nervous system and make you feel good and give you purpose so planning those things into our life all too often we have a, a kind of negative to-do list we have to get through and then these things slip in at the end so putting those things in place proactively so what makes you feel good can you plan that in making sure you have things which engage at rest and digest it and whatever that is for you dancing it sounds like is one of those things planning mm-hmm. that in so we have things which make us feel good and relax us they're not things which are which are should just be fitted in at random points they're things which should be an integral part of our life they should be things those are the things which look after us those things we sometimes think are unnecessary kind of frivolous or unimportant things or things which which will fit in oh I don't have time for a break those are the things which sustain us and that we're at, which actually are the things which reduce our stress and make us feel good Give us purpose, and that's what's ultimately good for well-being and mental health.
0: So, Emma, where can listeners find your work?
2: So, I'm on Instagram, Ask the Psychology Mom. I also, obviously, have published a book, which we mentioned earlier, but I've also published some free resources which are um, including all my drawings, which I did during the pandemic. I did a range of drawings about coping with COVID and coping with impact of COVID. And also some free posters, which you can download. And these are all available via Quercus Books landing page for my book. So if you look up, if you Google toolkit for modern life Quercus, you'll find that there's a free ebook, which you can download, which is freely available to use for any kind of non-commercial purposes. You can use it in for yourself or in clinical work or print out as posters or images if you'd like so I I like my work to be freely available as much as possible.
0: Thank you so much Emma really appreciate you joining us thanks very much. Welcome back Dr Rada. thank you very much for coming on again it is New Year's Day and typically I would be horribly hungover and you know (laughs) won't have the usual night on them. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day I'll probably be bright-eyed and bushy tailed so you know for some people they might be feeling great today. Um, anyway you're, you're back with us today to give <laughs> us um, a bit of a tip and um, sort of ideas about uh, mental health care and sort of or a wellness tip. What are your thoughts mm. about today New Year's Day?
3: Yeah so I was going to say to you that happy 2021 and I think and that also is a bit tricky isn't it because actually You know, we do have that kind of weird, enforced thing where one second past midnight is suddenly a new year, and we uh, mentally we expect everything to be suddenly different and suddenly Mm -hmm. better, and everything just to have kind of changed. And and obviously, you know, it doesn't, and um, Mm. it probably hasn't either. Um, So, but that doesn't necessarily mean it can't. You can't sort of celebrate it. So, so I think it's important to say that. You know, mentally, sometimes it really helps people to think about a new year as a time to. Stop, reflect, reset, and then move forward with what they want to do, and that can be really healthy. I think that can be really health- healthy if you're doing that from a place of wanting to do it yourself, rather than other people putting pressure on you, and wanting to do it with that energy of of changing something um, for better in your life. And I would actually say to focus more of that change on well being rather than external achievements or outcomes that perhaps we were always told to do. So obviously with any new year comes always the the dreadful artificial January pressure of resolutions and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, going yes. to joining a gym and all that kind of stuff. And I think this year we have to really avoid the kind of inauthentic, highly pressured, short term sort of messages around that. So instead of resolutions, which to me suggests um, pressure, uh, perhaps um, criticism, if you don't, if you don't achieve them, I would more go with the vibe of intention. So for this year coming, what are your intentions? Are they to look after yourself a bit more? Are they to do a few more wellness practices like mindfulness, meditation. Are you going to, um, you know, continue or spend a bit more time reading or crafting, for example? What are your wellness intentions? I think that's really, really important. So make them fluid, make them general, make them about your mental and emotional and physical health, not about other things. I think that's an important thing to say. And mm-hmm. the other thing I would also add to that is that there is also an energy of kind of hope when we turn to new year and sometimes people can say particularly in this situation oh well hope is a you know it's airy fairy you know things are really difficult and they are but I see hope as really like a daily tool and it's a daily tool we can use to actually help ourselves feel better because when we recognize actually the importance of hope and what hope does we can use it as a tool so for example Hope is that thing that gets us out of bed in the morning. It helps us find solutions. It helps us feel like there could be something different that's coming in the future. And that's what basically makes us get up, carry on and persevere when things are difficult or tough. So I think if you, if you recognize that about hope and you try and use hope in that way as a
0: daily tool, I think that can be really, really helpful. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think one of the best resolutions I ever made was to just be kinder to myself one year,
1: which sounds mm. a bit sort
0: of vague, but it really helped me throughout the year. And I still try and do it a bit sort of now, rather than the usual, as you say, resolutions about, I don't know, exercising loads or losing loads of weight or doing mm. something in- professionally. Just that one, I think, has made the most difference in my life because me personally, I was sort of being putting a lot of pressure on myself, being quite hard on myself. And then a year of kind of being a bit kinder to myself really made a difference. Yeah.
3: I love that. And actually, I think all, all good changes and all effective changes, if you want to make a change in your life, does come from a place of kindness. We, we never kind of make lasting change or impactful change when it comes from a place of criticism. So yeah, I think that kindness is the foundation to actually making those changes in your life that will hopefully lead you into, into a direction uh, where you're feeling good and you're actually looking after yourself as well.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Radha. Thank you for joining us on our, in our Christmas season, right through from Christmas Eve to New Year's Day. Um, really appreciate you um, joining us. Where can the listeners find you and find out more about what you're up to?
3: Yeah, so I'm always posting things on social media. So I'm on Twitter at Dr. Radha Modgill and on Instagram at Dr. underscore Radha as well. So I try and put out lots of positive tips and advice to keep everyone going, including myself. Brilliant. Thank you so much again.
1: bye from mentally yours so go away enjoy your day get on with all your chores
0: from mentally mentally mentally
1: mentally and mentally yours mentally yours mentally, yours. mentally
0: yours. if you've been affected by any of the things we've been chatting about today give the samaritans a ring You can call them on 116 123 or you can find them online at samaritans.org. If you've liked today's episode, please give us a rate and review on iTunes and come join us on Facebook. We have a group called Mentally Yours and on Twitter we're Mentally Yours spelt YRS.